We've all heard it before. It's who you know. Welcome to Social Capital, a weekly podcast that dives into social relationships and why the investment you put into them is so important. Your host, Lori Hybe, will connect with industry-leading professionals and dive into their networking experiences and expert advice. Hey, everybody. Lori Hybe here. Welcome to the Social Capital Podcast. Our show notes are found at socialcapitalpodcast.com. If you'd like to get more involved in the conversation, check out our Facebook group. Search for Social Capital Network, a community of trust, reciprocity, and relationships. Social Capital Podcast is sponsored by Keystone Click, a strategic digital marketing agency hosting bi-weekly educational webinars. You can check out more at keystoneclick.com forward slash webinars. And if you haven't already, I highly recommend you connect with me on LinkedIn. Just search for Lori J. Hybe. I am posting uh, pretty much daily related to marketing, networking, relationship building, um, all the fun things uh, related to building your brand in the digital space. Today's guest is Sam Gupta. Sam has been an ERP thought leader in the digital transformation space for nearly two decades, with a primary focus on financial systems and ERP. He has been part of a large transformation initiatives for Fortune 500 corporations, but now spends time consulting with SMEs as a principal consultant at Elevate IQ. Sam regularly speaks at industry conferences and contributes his experiences through many popular blogs and publications. He also hosts a podcast called WBS Rocks. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Laurie, for having me. I'm super excited to be here and super excited to talk to your fun listeners. Absolutely. I'm sure you're going to have such a great conversation. Uh, Lots of insights, especially because, you know, you host a show as well, so you know how to make it happen. <laughs> yes, I sure do. <laughs> I know that um, you know, manufacturing is space that you've got some some experience in, and I'm just curious in general, what are you seeing in the market? Why are manufacturing, why are manufacturers not necessarily exploring these opportunities right now? Well, so when we look at the manufacturing landscape, especially if we talk about the SMB manufacturers. Their business model, traditionally, if we look at the manufacturing supply chain, we had the manufacturer, we had the distributor, and we had the retailers. So just going back, let's say 20, 30 years back, right? So manufacturers never had to worry about uh, building their brand because they had distributors who could actually sell for them. But now things are changing, as you know, in the world, right? What the skill set that they needed to develop to be able to market, to be able to educate their distributors, they never had that. They were selling through distributors. They were, they always had sort of this sales mindset. They had salespeople who were really good in talking about their products, but they never had to worry about marketing. And that is what is the primary barrier, in my opinion, for manufacturers in understanding why they should worry about the marketing and why they should pay attention to marketing to be able to create the opportunities that they already have. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting that I never thought about just the historical distribution channel and how that was structured and how it's changed significantly because so much information is available anywhere you you go. I mean, your fingertips can find anything nowadays. So um, with that being one of the key barriers, um, what do you anticipate how this next phase of growth can happen and, and what can these SMB manufacturers do to really get to the next stage? So, business? yeah, 
so I don't know whether you want to call this as next phase of growth or next phase of disruption. So there are some disruptions happening in the startup space, right? So we have a lot of startups that are really good at marketing because they were never good at, let's say, the traditional manufacturing just because they had to compete with some of these established channels and their relationships. So they had to figure out how to do the marketing because otherwise they cannot compete with the traditional manufacturers. So that disruption is happening in the startup space. Now their products are gonna be slightly more superior. And the reason for that is because they are better at manufacturing as well, just because they are utilizing the newer technologies, they are slightly more innovative. Now looking at the traditional manufacturers, so they are going to face tremendous competition from these startups just because their products are going to be easier, they are going to build, let's say, the D2C channels, which is going to be direct to consumer, as opposed to going through the distribution channel, right? So, so manufacturers are going to face tons and tons of competition from these startups, plus the lines are really blurring between your, let's say, the, the retail your distribution and manufacturers just because you know some of the manufacturers are directly marketing to the consumers so again and the distributors what they are trying to do is they are trying to develop their own in-house capabilities to be able to develop these products right so now they have competition from their own distributors who were supposed to they supposed to be their sales and marketing channel so it's going to be a very interesting play overall and i think you know manufacturers need to think a lot more about what they can do to make sure their market share is protected, Laurie. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, how do you see the buyers and the decision makers play into this? Because I know historically it's, especially with some really larger companies, you have to you know, become an approved vendor and you know, the buyer ultimately makes a decision on who they end up working with. And, and, and how, is, how is that changing? So, well, let's look at, um, you know, the, the buyer types, right? So depending upon the kind of products, if we are talking about some of these spaces such as uh, food and beverage manufacturing, right? In that case, the buyers are going to be slightly, uh, you know, smaller overall in terms of their buying power, overall, you know, the way they buy their product and the dollar amount that they spend on a specific product is going to be far lower as well. But let's say if we look at the B2B space and the industrial uh, buyer space, right? The uh, buyer there is going to be completely different because the products that they are trying to buy is going to be slightly more sophisticated. They are going to spend a lot more time in researching about these products before they can talk to the salesperson. So let's, again, going back to 20 years back, right? Uh, if any of the industrial buyers really wanted to buy the product, what they would do is they will, they'll go with word of mouth. They'll talk to one of their, let's say the, um, if they are already working with somebody, they'll ask them, okay, do you know somebody who might be able to supply this product? And these channels were already developed, but now the, 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 the way the buying cycle looks at this point of time in the manufacturing space is if anybody wants to buy anything, they are going to research on Google first. And they, it, uh, there is a saying that I think uh, uh, they perform roughly 80 clicks before they can talk to any salesperson. Right, so this 80 clicks is happening on Google, right? So somebody needs to be serving this. So either you could be serving this, or your competitors can serve. So that's why you know the whole buyer mindset is changing. The buyer behavior is changing overall from the marketing perspective for the manufacturers. Wow, yeah, that's a. <laughs> I'm just kind of digesting all of this, but yeah, you're so right. I mean, it's. All of it's changing, um, and it just my observation of manufacturers is that they're slow to adopt these changes. 
And, the, and like you spoke to earlier, there's a number of individuals that are ahead of the game. These little guys are going to be taking over some of these big, long kind of legacy uh, manufacturers. Exactly. I mean, you know, some of these small guys, they don't even develop the product before they have their, their marketing channels developed. So they are really building the community first. They are building their audience first. And I'm pretty sure a lot of you have seen this as well, especially with the trends such as, you know, crowdsourcing. So if you look at some of these hardware products nowadays, what they do is the reason why they would do the crowdsourcing is just because they want to get their name out there, right? So number one, they are good. They will be able to do the, the, the marketing. And secondly, they are going to get the funding as well for their own products. So that's another interesting trend that we are seeing um, you know, from the marketing perspective that uh, the community first approach is what a lot of these startups are following. So they are going to have slightly more marketing power than your traditional manufacturers. Sure. Wow. Yeah, I can see that. Fascinating. I think this is a really good time to qu- take a quick pause from our sponsor. And then we dive into some juicy networking conversation. Social Capital is sponsored by Keystone Click. Located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Keystone Click is a strategic digital marketing agency focused on helping their clients generate and nurture opportunities online. For Social Capital listeners, they've created an awesome Guide to Profits booklet featuring 42 tips on how to build brand awareness, generate leads, and nurture those opportunities online. Visit keystoneclick.com backslash profits to download your own guide today. Sam, the goal with my show here today is to really help alleviate any fears that that anyone may have when they hear this word networking. So can you share with our listeners one of your most successful or favorite networking stories that you've had? Yeah, so networking story, I would say, you know, I'm actually going to talk about some of the things that I have personally done pre-COVID versus what I have done post-COVID. And this is going to be my own personal story. So before I, if I wanted to really network, what I would do is I would try to find some of the the physical channels and I did not trust as much on things like LinkedIn. But now after COVID, what I'm really doing is I am trusting a lot more on LinkedIn just because when you have the follower counts on LinkedIn, what happens is that is actually going to increase the visibility of your post. That is going to increase the the, uh, you know, um, the overall influence over LinkedIn that is going to help develop your personal brand. So yeah, so I'm actually personally trusting a lot more on LinkedIn networking post COVID. And I think that is going to continue uh, overall as we move along. So I don't know if I have any specific story from the networking perspective. And if you are simply talking about the fear, then I am actually going to share this. So when I used to network, let's say if I go to my physical events, sometimes I used to be afraid when I was not comfortable talking about the subject. But now, uh, you know, after I basically mastered uh, whatever I want to speak about, then typically I am very confident. Love it. I love that you're really maximizing LinkedIn right now. That's that's where we connected. <laughs> yes, exactly. Co- common ground. Um, uh, with uh, past guest Kurt, and he's got um, some fantastic uh, stories that he shares without a doubt. Um, but yeah, it's a extremely powerful tool right now. And I think it's, I mean, obviously COVID has really elevated the use of social media, but um, it's not going away. That's for sure. Yeah. And uh, LinkedIn is probably going to become hard and hard just because, uh, you know, they, 
are sort of losing the ad revenue at this point of time. And because of that, they are trying to uh, reduce the number of views that everybody is going to get. So they really need to know uh, how LinkedIn works, to be honest. So you need to be really compelling with respect to your content. Uh, and obviously, we have spent a lot of time to be able to develop the, the follower network. And uh, you know, if anybody is trying for that journey, they really need to put a lot of effort on LinkedIn uh-huh. right now. Uh, totally. So how do you stay in front of or best nurture your network or your community? Sorry, best what, sir? Best nurture your network or your community? Yeah, so what I like to do is the best way to to nurture for me would be how I can stay on top of my buyer's mind is how I like to define. So these are going to be either buyers or these are going to be the people who are hanging out with my buyers. Mm-hmm. So, so there are multiple touches that I typically like to follow. It could be from the social media perspective. So as I mentioned, the only reason why we are doing LinkedIn is because that actually gets us in front of my buyers. They mm-hmm. are always seeing that I'm always present on LinkedIn for some reason. Okay. Now, again, I mean, see, we don't necessarily get a lot of leads from LinkedIn directly, but that actually helps in creating this brand presence that people are calling us uh, on our numbers. And that actually helps overall uh, in strengthening the brand and also in terms of the, the visibility. Yep, absolutely. I, I agree. It's, it's, all, it's a huge branding platform, not necessarily Legion. There are definitely strategies from lead, a Legion perspective, but definitely a fantastic platform from a branding perspective. Yep. Sam, what advice would you offer the business professional who's looking to grow their network? The advice I'm going to offer is number one, you need to be super comprehensive in your strategy. So you cannot rely just on one channel. Uh, Identify which channel is the right suited for your audience. Sometimes what people do is they will simply go for either LinkedIn or Twitter or let's say Instagram, but they don't really know where their buyers are really hanging out. So understanding where your buyers are really partying, figure that out and then figure out how to basically, what kind of message they are going to understand and then understand the nuances of the platform as well. Those three are going to be equally applicable just because you know sort of create, how to create the posts on LinkedIn and you are able to do that. That does not mean that everybody's seeing your post and you are investing your time in the right direction. Sometimes your your best channel could be just the cold calling, right? Just because you might mm-hmm. have, let's say, five buyers in the market, right? But let's say if you are approaching the masses and if you are targeting a lot of people, then you need to figure out, you know, how to how to basically approach each channel, each customer, and uh, each message as well. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's great. Um, let's let's go back to your twenty year old self here, Sam. What would you yeah. tell yourself to do more of, less of, or differently with regards to your professional career? So yeah, so in my case, Laurie, I did not respect inbound marketing at all, to be honest, because the space that I'm in, in the ERP space, these mm-hmm. are very expensive purchases, right? So we used to be very outbound, very sales focused, okay? And one of the misconception or misunderstanding I had, and I still argue with a lot of marketers, to be honest, and what we used to tell them is, look, you know, I'm called calling my CFOs on a daily basis, Laurie, okay? And they are not really listening to me. Okay, so I know who are going to buy from me. I'm already in touch with them and they are not really talking to me. But you are telling me that this is the same CFO 
who's not talking to me over the phone. This CFO is going to come to my website and going to read my content and then going to actually ask me to show my product, which did not make a lot of sense to be honest, okay? So <laughs> then after COVID, what happened is everything changed because we are not getting as much result from our outbound efforts. So we had to find the, the ways to be successful in the market. So we started doing a lot more content just because we had time. Right. When we started doing that, and now when I talk to my customer, the whole perception changed, to be honest. Okay. It was the same pitch that I, I was doing in the outbound scenario, but now it is the same pitch, but they want to trust me just because they have my brand there. They have my, uh, my uh, you know, they, they trust me a lot more as a thought leader. So if I were to go back 20 years back, one of the things that I would do is I would start from marketing. I would take marketing-driven approach. I would take community-driven approach as opposed to sales-driven approach, Laurie. Uh, well, you're speaking my language. <laughs> <laughs> I had to learn it hard way, Laurie. Yep, yep. I mean, and you know, this is the world I'm in and I and I had to learn it the hard way too, but um, 100%, it's it's bu- building trust. I mean, that that is that's sales and marketing is all about building trust, but especially on a product that, that you offer. I mean, ERP, like you said, it's, it's a huge, huge buying decision and it's probably a fairly long sales cycle. I would imagine, um, you need to establish and and build and nurture that relationship over a long period of time. And one of the best ways to do that is, as you mentioned, the thought leadership and, and that, that inbound marketing approach. Yeah, it, it definitely creates a lot of trust because it has a sense of openness and transparency, to be honest, when you are mm-hmm. doing the same pitch uh, over the phone, uh, you know, other salespeople are doing the same as well. So it's very, very hard to trust uh, during those sales calls. But let's say if I put the same sales pitch uh, on my on my inbound channels, <clears throat> the customer actually start trusting you. And that's been my experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sam, if you could connect with any person and you think you could do it within the six degrees, um, who would that person be and how would you start that journey? Well, so I am actually going to share my own story around this one because I was very strategic when I was doing the LinkedIn. I had no idea how to basically approach LinkedIn. I was using LinkedIn mostly for the sales. I had no idea how to approach this from the content perspective. Mm -hmm. So when we started doing our own content, you know, we we were not getting any traction. I mean, we were not getting any views. We were not getting any, any likes, but I saw people like Laurie, um, you know, the, the podcast hosts, uh, these guys were getting, let's say hundred clicks, 200 clicks, right? Mm-hmm. So in this particular case, uh, you know, so we had to actually figure out how to, how to make my way around LinkedIn and I'm actually missing the question again. Can you, can you repeat your question again? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We're talking about who would be the one person that one you'd person. love to so, connect okay, so, with. Yes. Yeah. So I'm actually going with the strategy, right? So, so in case of the strategy, what I wanted to do is I wanted to go after everybody who had the most amount of followers uh, on LinkedIn, because they have, uh, my understanding of LinkedIn algorithm is, um, you know, typically when you have a post and if an influencer is actually going to like the post, uh, your post is going to be far more visible than if the influencer is not going to like. So so to answer your question, if I were to, let's say, select 
one person or two people, right? I would be selecting based on the, the people who has most amount of influence in my space, based on the number of followers they have in my space. If they have a million followers, let's say in the ERP category, I would be hanging out with them. The reason for that is because if they actually engage with my post, then the visibility of my post is going to be much higher than you know if I connect with anybody uh, on LinkedIn. So again, I would be going after the influencer uh, on whichever platform I'm hanging out on. If it is going to be LinkedIn, then I will be going after LinkedIn influencer. Yeah, that, that, that's a great way to tackle that. Um, I love how you kind of flushed out the, the process at the end of the day there. Sam, I'm going to give you the opportunity to interview me. What is something you'd like to ask me? So Laurie, you tell me what's been your community-driven experience. How is the market going to change from the community perspective? That is really an interesting question. It's, I mean, and it's changed so, significantly already in the last year. And, and I've even observed some of my, my networking activities both online and, and in person, um, you know, I was really focused on the local, but now the reach is so easy globally and it's way more um, acceptable now than it was pre-COVID to just jump on a Zoom call with anyone, you know, or, or start a message with anyone, regardless of, of where they are. I think the biggest challenge is, you know, connecting the time zones and <laughs> getting on the same page with with what is the best time to, to do some of these um, calls. But Community, I think, has really been built heavily in the digital space. You know, Facebook groups are, are exploding right now. Um, I, I think LinkedIn groups, I think there's an opportunity for those to really make a major comeback if LinkedIn, you know, does the right things to, to put them in the forefront. But that's, people want to be around those that are similar thinking with them or, or have similar audiences. So, so you know, they want to be, fishing in the same ponds as everyone else that, um, you know, going after the same fish that they're pursuing. So I think community in general is going to get more and more invested in the digital space to connect, but finding ways to have that in-person um, human-to-human contact, I think is going to be a, a vital com component here. And when people can get back to doing big conferences and meetups again, I think it's going to just be insane. So let me ask you this question differently. Why did you start the podcast? Did it help you build your tribe? And that's what I call community, right? Do you feel that you have a tribe now? Do you feel that you are a thought leader? And did podcast add in becoming you a thought leader in your space? The, the short, easy answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> and when why I, is that? <laughs> yeah, so when I started my podcast, which was in 2017, um, some things were happening that were just blowing my mind. I was attending networking events, you know, in my local community here, and I would know half of the people in the room and the other half of the people in the room knew me because of my podcast, which I just was blown away. I'm like, oh, I'm a little mini celebrity. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, and it was just so neat to have people come up to me and be like, oh, I love your show. And I listen to it. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. That <laughs> you know, people know me, they recognize me, they see my face, they, 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 it feels like they already know who I am because um, 
just, you know, you're, you're just being real and being you and, and providing value. You're creating that, that trust that we talked about earlier. And I think yeah. that's one of the awesome things about um, creating any sort of content and, you know, podcast is a, the medium that I chose. And I know that's the one that you've really kind of gone all in on as well. Um, it's a great platform to get your message out and, and you, you build that following and, um, you know, people might call you out if you miss an episode. <laughs> exactly. That's how community is, right? Because mm-hmm. you are part of it. They are part of it. They trust you. They, they, they are going to buy from you. So, yeah. So I, I do feel that, you know, this, this sense of community is going to be the next differentiator for the brands, to be honest. Uh, when they are going to be approaching their products and services, it's not going to be just your products and services. It's going to be what you can do for me uh, as a customer. Can you help me win my business, right? And if you can do that, then I'm going to be doing the business uh, from you. So yeah, so that it's going to be really exciting times, especially with the podcast, with the social media, the way things are moving at this point of time. Um, it's, it's, it's going to be amazing. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there's a lot of really fascinating things on, on the forefront that we're going to be seeing over the next, you know, a couple of years here and just the evolution of, of business and, and relationships in general. Cool. Fun question. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, do we have more time <laughs> to ask more questions? I mean, I can go on, Laurie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I, I think we'll, we'll kind of head to the end here. Otherwise uh, maybe we'll have a follow-up show <laughs> where it's ask Lori all the questions. Um, <laughs> So Sam, any final word or advice to offer our listeners with regards to growing and supporting your network? Yeah, the only thing I would say is just figure out how to be a thought leader in your space. And I know that this term gets thrown around a lot. The best way to be a thought leader is just open up yourself, go out there and talk about whatever you know. It doesn't matter. It could be a very small thing or it could be a big thing. Just open up and you know either start a blog, podcast, uh, YouTube channel, whatever. Just open up yourself, be transparent, and put your content out there. And trust me, people will trust you. Your tribe is going to trust you. Your customers are going to trust you. Love it. I think it's sound advice for all of our listeners. Sam, if anyone was interested in getting in contact with you, what's the best way they can reach you? Uh, Easiest is going to be social media. Uh, They can find me as Sam Gupta. It's S-A-M-G-U-P-T-A. Um, and uh, for the podcast, they can go to wbs.rocks. It's wbs.rocks. Uh, and if they are looking to connect with the business, it's going to be Elevate IQ. It's going to be E L E V A T I Q without E. All right. We will include all of that information in the show notes. Thank you so much for being on the show, on the show Sam. <laughs> Thank you so much, Laurie, for having me. Really enjoyed talking to you. Absolutely. All right. This wraps up our episode of Social Capital Huge. Thank you to Sam for taking the time to connect with us. As I mentioned, if you're interested in continuing the conversation, check out our Facebook group. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. That's all for this episode of the Social Capital Podcast. Visit socialcapitalpodcast.com for show notes, more episodes, and to see who will be on the show next. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode.